Uh, please turn with me to uh, page one, 1091, 1 Timothy 2, verse 8, page 1091. Therefore, I want the men in every place to pray, lifting up holy hands without anger or argument. Also, the women are to dress themselves in modest clothing, with decency and good sense, not with elaborate hairstyles, gold, pearls, or expensive apparel, but with good works, as is proper for women who affirm that they worship God. A woman should learn in silence with full submission. I do not allow a woman to teach or to have authority over a man. Instead, she is to be silent. For Adam was created first, and then Eve. And Adam was not deceived, but the woman was deceived and transgressed. But she will be saved through childbearing if she continues in faith, love, and holiness with good judgment. This is the word of the Lord. Please keep Bibles open there. If you are new this morning, let me just affirm that we don't teach this passage every single week. We're just working through 1 Timothy, and this is our, our chapter for this morning. I want to start by uh, stating the, the obvious, and the obvious is that this, this passage, these few verses, have caused a, a great deal of heat and a great deal of harm. A great deal of heat because so many books have been written about them, so many blogs have been written about them, so much Facebook discussion has been had about them, uh, often unpleasant, and, and often it seems to be that people have this dogged a determination to defend a particular position. And I want to assure you that I've read most of the material out there. There's bits that I agree with, bits that I disagree with. Um, I guess what, what, what saddens me is that so few of those books are, are written uh, with a sort of a pastoral tone. Because we're talking about real people in real churches. And that's where the, the hurt has come from. A great deal of hurt. Uh, both men and women have been hurt by these verses. Uh, deep hurt, deep damage, deep pain. Uh, and these verses have been used, used wrongly to abuse women, undermine women, belittle women, oppress women. And I want to start off by saying that I am personally sorry if I've ever done that. And also want to apologize if anything I say this morning is insensitive in any kind of way. Trust me, I've labored over this sermon more than most. Uh, and I will be more tied to my notes this morning than normal because I want to make sure that I actually say what I want to say. Uh, and I'm doing that because people only really hear what they want to hear sometimes as well. Uh, but I don't apologize that these verses are in the Bible. Uh, this is the divinely inspired Word of God. And we can't just rip these verses out. Let's grapple with them. Let's delight in them. I do feel like I'm sort of sailing through very choppy waters, uh, walking a tightrope with sharks all around me, ready to devour me. Um, and as I prepare, like, I keep finding myself having to say, I'm not saying this, and I'm not saying this, and I'm not saying this. And I'm also aware that I'm preaching to people this morning who have very different views on this matter. A whole spectrum of views in this room. And can I also say that's okay? It's okay to disagree. Now, our unity is in Jesus, our unity is in the Spirit, it's okay if you grapple with these verses and you disagree. 
What's not okay is to be divisive over this. And what's not okay is to walk into church this morning not allowing the Spirit to do any work in you. And to come into church this morning with your set opinions and to walk out with those opinions not even even challenged and refusing to allow the Spirit to actually teach and transform you, that's not okay. I mean, the Spirit's transformed me extraordinarily over the last 20 years. So I'm just going to open the treasure of these chapters and I'm not going to answer all your questions or comments on every position. So please write down your questions or text your questions. Uh, and I, what, what's going to happen is I will put a paper together this week answering all your questions that will be emailed out on Wednesday or Thursday this week. So we're talking about gender issues and that's a very relevant topic today. I want you to imagine that a, a woman from 1914 was transported to 2014. How do you think she'd feel living in 2014? Liberated. Flabbergasted by how things have changed. Extraordinary change in the last 100 years. And most of that change has been wonderful and right and important and good and liberating and celebrated. But you know what happens with change? What can happen is you can push it too far. And I want to suggest this morning that our society, we've just pushed things too far. And so we're living in a society where we've all but obliterated all gender distinctives. We're kind of like gender neutral. And I don't just mean that a bearded woman wins the Eurovision Song Contest. What I mean is that we've stopped having men and women and Gender distinctive. So I was in a conversation three weeks ago. I used the word husband. And the person that I was talking to said, uh, you should use the word spouse because you don't assume that it's a man and a woman. And even if I suggest that there's any difference between men and women, I feel like I'm starting World War Three. And the Bible says God made us male and God made us female. God made us men and God made us women. And we should rejoice in that. So we're talking about gender issues. And please listen carefully, we're talking about the church. That's the context, and that is important. This passage is not about men and women in the business world. This passage is not about men and women in government. It's not addressing the issue about having a female prime minister. It is not talking about men and women in Christian organizations. It's talking about men and women in the local church, in a local gathering. That's what 1 Timothy is about, what you do when you gather together on the Lord's Day. Uh, Paul has said that God wants all people to be saved and come to a knowledge of the truth. Now, now what is the church according to 1 Timothy chapter 3? It's the pillar and foundation of the truth. And so through the way that we relate as church, the way we behave in church, the way that uh, men and women relate in our gatherings, we do that in a way that makes the gospel of grace very attractive. So we're talking about gender issues, but gender issues in the church. Is that clear? So what's the first point? The first point is this, godly attitude in the church. Godly attitudes in God's church. Let's start with the men. Let me ask us here, what, what makes a strong man in the eyes of the world? The strong men are the, the fighters, the strong men are the successful men, the powerful men who shout the loudest, and that's what men do. Now do you see how the gospel of grace transforms what it means to be a man? Read verse 8. 
because God wants all people to be saved, and because we're all going to pray, men and women, therefore, verse 8, I want men in every place to pray, lifting up holy hands without anger or argument. Paul sort of eyeballs the men and says, okay, men, let's look at your prayer life. Are you praying? Uh, he's, not, he's not saying that women can't pray. He's not saying that women shouldn't pray. Uh, 1 Corinthians 11 encourages women to pray in the gathering. Uh, it, it seems to me that the issue for the men is their prayerlessness. And nothing's changed there. And so he says to the men, men, please don't be angry. Men, please don't get involved in arguments and disputes and debates. Don't sort out your, your issues by brute force or by going to your cave and sort out your own problems by yourself. You've got a, a good God and a wise God, so lift up hands to him and pray. Now, he's not saying again in verse 8 that you, you must hold up your hands to pray. You can pray sitting down, you can pray on, on your knees, you can pray lying on your face, but he's saying, however you pray, make sure that the hands that you lift up are holy hands. That's the focus that your hands are set apart for God. You're living a godly life, a pure life and a wise life. He's saying, men, when you pray, please don't approach God with a heart full of sin. When you pray, please don't approach God with a heart full of anger and resentments and hatred towards other people. Don't turn your prayer life into this hypocritical sham where you, you talk to God, but you're full of anger and arguments and you're surprised when God doesn't answer your prayers. When you pray, lift up holy hands. Remember the, the quote that Andy gave us last week from Mo McShane? A man is what he is on his knees before God and nothing more. A man is what he is on his knees before God and nothing more. And that's why men of grace, men of the gospel are different. We should be humble enough to say, I need God's help, I need God's wisdom. Humble enough to say, I need to pray. <laughs> So let me eyeball the men. And let me ask you, how's your prayer life? How's your time on your knees before God? How's your time at home by yourself with your God? How's your time bringing all your needs and your petitions and your requests to him? Are you humbly dependent on him? Or do you think you can do it all by yourself because you're, you're strong enough, you're wise enough? When it comes to open prayer time in church, you long to pray. In your pods, do you pray? That's the challenge for men. Be men of prayer. What's the challenge for women? Look at verse 9. Uh, the women are to dress themselves in modest clothing with decency and good sense, not with elaborate hairstyles, gold, pearls, or expensive apparel, but with good works, as is proper for women who affirm that they worship God. It's really quite simple. He's saying, women, be known for your works, not your wardrobe. Be known for your fruit of the Spirit, not your, not your fashion sense. He's saying, women, your clothes matter, but clothe yourself with good works because you belong to Jesus. And, and you see how that flies in the face of the world? Because the world says that you judge a woman based on what they look like. That's right, isn't it? That's what the world says. It matters what women wear. It matters what their hair looks like and their makeup looks like and their clothes. It all matters. And, and so women find their identity in having the latest 
clothing, the latest label, the latest handbag. And, and I have to be really honest that I, I'm really scared for my boys growing up in this world where we are perpetuating this false beauty myth where you judge a woman based on the externals. That is profoundly wrong. And Paul says, well, you might see that kind of behavior in the bars and in the world and on the TV, but please not in church. Please don't turn church into a fashion parade where it's all about what you wear. And it seems that the women in, his, in the church in Ephesus were concerned about being seen in the right labels or the lavish clothing. What does he say in verse 9? Elaborate hairdos and gold and pearls and expensive accessories. Getting dressed up for church. Now here's what I'm not saying. I am not saying it is wrong to look nice. I am not saying it is wrong to dress well. I'm not saying it's wrong to be trendy. And I'm certainly not saying it's, you need some sort of dress code for church. But, but Paul seems to be saying, be more concerned about your character than your clothing. So the time, the money, the effort we spend on thinking about our appearance, make sure that you're working on your godliness. Uh, verse 9, he talks about modest clothing. Uh, the word there means not too lavish. You don't have to wear the most expensive labels to impress people in the church because we're all equal in the eyes of God. He says in verse 9, with decency and good sense. He's saying don't parade your sexuality, don't parade your wealth, but instead parade your good works, verse 10. Now, what are the good works? Well, Paul tells you, actually, in chapter 5. Go to chapter 5, verse 10. He's talking to older women here, to the widows. But he kind of expands on what some of these good works, just some of them. But verse 10, some of those good works are, she's brought up children, she's shown hospitality, she's washed the, the, saint, the, the feet of the saints, helped the afflicted, and devoted herself to every good work. I think he's just saying here that if you're a woman in church, we should want to be known for our humility, not our hairdo, and you know, our, our tenderness and not our trendiness, and our heart, and not just what we look like. Now, forgive me if this is, if this is wrong. It's just what I've been told, and I've been told by women. I've been told by women that a lot of women actually get dressed up for other women. And they notice what each other are wearing. I think Paul is just saying here, when you, you, you're saved by grace, sure, I'm not saying being daggy, but be more focused on the internals. Clothe yourself in godliness and good works. So that's a godly attitude. Men pray... Women focus on character. Now, I'm hoping nothing I've said so far is too controversial. Because this is going to be controversial, this next bit. <laughs> okay, godly order in God's church. Again, let me tell you what these verses are not about. They are not a statement about your gifts. 1 Corinthians 12 makes it very clear both men and women have Many different gifts. They are not a statement about intelligence or communication skills or abilities. 
He is not talking about society. He's not talking about workplace. He's not talking about the business world. He's talking about the local church when we gather together. So what does Paul say? This is where the heat lies and the hurt. Verse 11. A bit of label on these verses. <clears throat> a woman should learn, and let's stop there. A woman should learn. Now, I find that profoundly encouraging and countercultural because when this was written, it was an age where there was little or no place for female learning. And so this was radical. I don't know whether you've understood that, that the gospel radically changed things for women. So you walk into a church in the first century and you find women sitting alongside men in church. That was profound. I went to a, a, a synagogue a, a while ago and as I walked into this service in the synagogue, it was all men because the women were in another room behind a curtain somewhere. And in the church, he says, no, no, men and women sit together in church and you learn together. A woman should learn, verse 11, in silence. He's not saying absolute silence. He's not saying no speaking at all because the word used for silence in verse 11 is the same root as the word used for quiet in verse 2, living a tranquil and quiet life that both men and women should lead. And Paul doesn't say we should live our lives in silence. He says, make sure that you live peaceful lives, not disruptive lives, content lives. So when you gather together, it doesn't mean that women are not allowed to speak at all, but make sure you're, you're learning in quietness. Uh, verse 11, with full submission. Again, he's not saying there that all women always submit to all men in all walks of life, but in the gathering, as you learn together, it links down to verse 12. Look, look at verse 12. I do not allow... Stop there. Uh, some people take verse 12 and they say, this is Paul. Paul doesn't allow it. This is Paul's personal view and he doesn't really like women, but Paul's an apostle of Jesus. And if you rip this verse out of what Paul says, then let's rip out, what, a third of the New Testament? Uh, and other people say, well, Paul is writing to a specific church in Ephesus in a particular culture, but times have changed. But Paul doesn't argue from culture, he argues from creation. So, so verse 12 again, I do not allow a woman to teach or to have authority over a man. Instead, she's to be silent. The word for teach there is the word didasco. Lots of ink has been spilled over that word, especially recently. There's two books on the screen. One's by a guy called John Dixon, hearing her voice. One's by Matthias Media, Women and Sermons. Both are excellent books, well worth a read. I like bits of both of them, but I don't agree entirely with all of them. Uh, but the word didasco, uh, throughout the whole of Scripture, is used as uh, passing on the apostolic truth, unpacking what the Bible says. That's what the word means. It's, it's actually the same root of the word in 2 Timothy 4, of you, know, you, you preach the word, you're unpacking the word. The word authority is a hard word to actually defined because this is the only time it's used in scripture. It clearly means authority, but what type of authority? I don't think we could actually say that because it's the only time it's used in scripture. Let's look at verse 12. I, I do not allow a woman to teach or have authority over a man. Now, he could be saying two separate commands. 
but I don't think he is. He could be saying, I, I, I don't allow a woman to teach a man. But that can't be true. That cannot be true. Paul cannot be forbidding women to teach men at all. Because who, who was one of the founding members of the Ephesian church? Priscilla, who taught Apollos. So you had a woman teaching a man. Uh, who taught Timothy the truth? His mother and his grandmother. And, and elsewhere in Scripture, Paul says, listen carefully, the same word, teach one another with psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs. There is no gender distinctives there. In 1 Corinthians 11, one, uh, it says women are to prophesy. That's a form of teaching in church. Prophesy to the men. Read Romans 16, a whole list of women doing amazing word ministries. So he cannot be saying women are not allowed to teach men full stop. Uh, okay, verse 12 again. I don't allow a woman to have authority over men. He, he can't be putting a full stop there. He can't be saying that women can't have any position of authority in the church. It's okay to have a, a woman who is overseeing a finance committee or leading mission teams or Naomi leading male leaders. Nothing wrong with that. Because the point is, verse 12 is not two separate commands, but, but one command. And one of the most important words in verse 12 is that word, or. It's a linking word. The, the authority comes from the teaching. You teach with the authority. And in the context of 1 Timothy, the authority is linked to eldership, which in 1 Timothy is always masculine. So I think he's saying here, that when you gather together in your local church on the Lord's Day and there's that moment in the service where the word is unpacked, the apostolic tradition is passed on, that is the one thing, and as far as I can work out, the only thing in Scripture that a woman is not permitted to do. But then again, 99% of men don't do, don't do it either. We'll come back to that in a minute, but, but let's press on. Why is this? Verse 13. What's the grounds for this? It's not cultural, is it? It's creational. For Adam was created first, and then Eve. And Adam was not deceived, but the woman was deceived and transgressed. So he takes you back to Genesis 2, not to Genesis 3 first. Genesis 2 first, and says there's a good order, wise order, perfect creation order, Adam first, then Eve. And what, what happens at the fall is the, the order is reversed, and so the animals are, are, are commanding the, the, the woman, the woman's commanding the man. And it's kind of like the, the gospel restores God's good creation order. What, what, someone said, what sin ruined, Christ recovered. And so that complementarity, which is so good between men and women, Christ comes and redeems us and restores good, wise order. Let me say what he's not saying. He's not saying here that women are inherently more likely to be deceived. He is not saying that men are without sin. He's not saying the fall was all the fault of Eve. Actually, the rest of the Bible says the fall was the responsibility of Adam. He is not saying that women are less intellectually able or more temperamentally suspect. He's just saying it's a good order. Male and female. And please hear this, male and female who are totally equal, equal in dignity, equal in identity, equal in salvation, 
Have you read Genesis 3 verse 20, Galatians 3 verse 23? Galatians 3 23, there's no Jew or Gentile, there's no male or female, we're all one in Christ Jesus. He says, when it comes to your faith, there is no gender or race issue. But that verse is not talking about roles in your local church. So what the gospel of grace does, it, it helps us celebrate God's creation. We rejoice at being male, we rejoice at being female. And it's almost like when we try and deny there's any difference between male and female, it's like we're saying, well, well God's order wasn't good and God was not wise in making us men and women. And I've seen how men and women have been transformed in their understanding by grace. I, I've known men who, when they come to faith, suddenly understand what it means to be a man. And they've been taught all their life that to be a man, you need to be you know, strong with the biggest muscles and be macho. And, 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 and you meet Jesus and say, no, no, to be a man actually means that we humble ourselves before a, a strong and powerful God, and we're not in control of everything. And I've met women who have been humbled by the gospel of grace and say, wow, I just rejoice in being a, a woman. That's what these verses do. We'll come on to verse 15 later. I'm not going to duck verse 15, even though I'd like to duck verse 15. I will expand it. Uh, what does that look like here in a church? Have you heard me? There's a whole spectrum of views out there, and you might disagree. It's okay. At one end of the spectrum, there are churches where uh, a woman can do exactly the same as a man. She can be the, the senior pastor. She can be the bishop. She can be the archbishop. That's one end of the spectrum. I don't agree with that position. At the other end of the spectrum, there are churches where women can do absolutely nothing apart from teach women and lead Sunday school. I don't agree with that position either. So where am I? I don't know if you've heard of a, of a lady called Elizabeth Elliot. Uh, she's a, uh, the wife of Jim Elliot, who was a missionary who was murdered. She has had a massive impact on the worldwide church. Uh, thousands have come to Christ through her. She's been an encouragement to, to many. She has spoken at conferences to men and to women. She's preached at mi on mission at Bible colleges. She's had a profound impact on, on the kingdom. But do you know what made her really unpopular in the U.S.? When she walked into church on the Lord's Day, she spent the week preaching uh, at conferences and teaching in Bible college. When she walked into church on the Lord's Day, she refused to step into the pulpit. Because she said, that needs to be the job of my senior pastor, who is a man. And that's really where I'm at. There's just one thing in this church that we've done by, by men only, and that's the, the, the expanding of the word on the Sunday morning. Uh, we're not against women having any kind of teaching ministry. We believe that women uh, can do and are involved in hundreds and thousands of ministries. They teach one another, admonish one another, encourage one another, exhort one another, pray, prophesy. And that is one of the reasons why we have these open microphones where men and women can come forward and just teach one another. So here at Church by the Bridge, both men and women lead worship, lead prayer meetings, read the Bible, pray, disciple, teach PTC courses, prophesy, encourage, evangelize, do mission spots, teach women, teach kids, teach youth, teach on weekends away, lead hive groups. There is no gender distinctives there. But just one thing, the expanding of the scriptures will be done by a man. So what does that mean for us? Godly attitudes... Godly order. I think he's saying here, 
if you're a woman here this morning, delight in being female. And I actually think that's what verse 15 is saying. Delight in being a woman. It's an incredibly difficult verse. Let me read it. But she will be saved through childbearing if she continues in faith, love, holiness, and good judgment. Uh, This verse cannot mean she'll be kept safe in childbirth, as in no women will die in childbirth. That is plainly not true. It cannot mean, listen really, really carefully, it cannot mean that a woman will be saved through having a child. That is blatantly not true. It goes against the gospel of grace. And it's offensive to many people, single and married without kids. Uh, Some have tried to make verse 15 say that uh, she'll be saved through the birth of the child, meaning Jesus. I think that's just theological gymnastics. I think Paul is saying this. The important thing is this, that you're saved by the blood of Jesus, yes? Whether you're a man or woman, you're saved by the blood of Jesus. But do you remember in Philippians chapter 2, Paul talks about working out your salvation? That's actually the same sort of root here. You work out your salvation by rejoicing in being a woman. So if you've been blessed with a husband and blessed with kids, then don't resent being a mother. And make sure that you continue in faith and love and holiness with good judgment. And I say that today because, again, just like we blurred these gender distinctives, I sometimes feel that our our world begins to look down and despise on motherhood. To be a mum, to raise kids... To teach them to love Jesus. What what a delight that is. And again, obviously there are people who are not able to have kids. They don't have to have kids. But if you've been blessed with them, rejoice in being a woman. And if you're a man, I've thought carefully about this, but if you're a man, can I urge you to affirm, encourage, empower the women at this church. And I say that because sometimes in our diocese and sometimes in our denomination, uh, the men have belittled the women and made them feel worthless. And that is profoundly wrong. I mean, to repent of that. Men be, be Christ-like men, holy men, prayerful men, to empower and encourage the women to be women. But my final word is to both men and women. Remember the heartbeat of God in in this book? What does God want for people? To be saved and come to knowledge of the truth? Haven't we got hundreds and thousands of different ways that you can serve the Lord Jesus to help the gospel go out? hundreds and thousands of ways for both men and women to save souls and to heal broken lives and reach the lost. And I find it incredibly sad. Incredibly sad when we seem to be obsessed with this one thing. It's like we're back in Eden, the one thing that we can't do, we really want to do. And I find it sad when it divides. I stand here today knowing that you'll have a different opinion. That's okay. I do not think this is a black and white issue that should divide the church. But it's not okay to to say, you know, I'm not a man or I'm not a woman. You are a man, you're a woman. 
and God made us male and female. Let's delight in our gender distinctives. I'm going to pray. Please write down questions or text questions. We're going to sing a song, and then we're going to have open encouragement. So open microphone where whether you're a man or a woman, you can come forward and teach us, admonish us, encourage us, exhort us. Do what the whole of Scripture says. So let me pray. Father God, we we humbly come before you this morning. I I ask, Lord, that you would uh, forgive me if things that I've said this morning are untrue or unhelpful. Please remove them from this place. But Spirit of God, uh, would you take what is true and would you implant it into our hearts and our minds that we might love Jesus and serve him all our days. In Jesus' name.